Our scripture reading today comes from Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Most of you probably already know this about me, but I actually grew up in California before I went to college in Indiana. And uh, this feels like forever ago, uh, but I still remember driving across the country full of optimism, ready to make new friends and stay up way too late and, you know, maybe pick up drinking coffee, like real grown-up college kind of stuff. And so I drove, you know, from California all the way to Indiana, and I remember getting there, I put my loft together and I got my desk organized and I walked around the campus with my little schedule so I could figure out what my week was gonna look like and where I needed to go. And everything was, was honky-dory, it was great. But I remember that first night after my dad had left and he'd caught a flight back home, I was laying in my bed with, right, in the, in the room, there's two other guys who, oh, by the way, I, I, I don't know them at all. And I'm staring up at the ceiling, and I think for the first time, it, it, it fully finally hits me that I'm not going home. This is my life for the next four years. And, and a feeling crept over me that I really had not felt in a long time. I was homesick. And now I wouldn't have called and told my parents that because I had to pretend to be strong, right? But I was, I was homesick, homesickness. I actually can't think of a better word to describe the human condition than homesickness. I think we're all born into this world with a sense that we don't belong and we spend our hours and our days trying to make something better than what we were given. But, for, but even for mo the most successful people in the world, I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, people that we are convinced have, have built a kind of life that we are convinced is right is, is the pinnacle of human existence. We often find that at the end of their lives, they will say something to the effect of, even that success wasn't enough. Or as we might put it now, uh, even that didn't feel like home. And we, we think we all feel this way, and we should. John's whole revelation, this whole apocalypse has been building to these final chapters that we're talking about today. This is actually the final part of our series in Revelation. It's the end of the book. And if you were to look back at the imagery of this book, and it's wild, if you were to look back at the church's suffering and, and the world turning more and more chaotic and, and the beasts and the dragon betraying and deceiving and as the nations tear each other apart, all the imagery of this book, you sense especially in the prayer of the martyrs 
in Revelation chapter 5. How long, O Lord, a sense of homesickness. It's as if the church's response to the whole apocalypse, the whole revelation is, Lord, when do we get to go home? When does this end? And here finally, in these last chapters, John gives his answer. He says, home is coming to you. Home is coming to you. That is John's promise. And he says it's coming and it's coming soon. What will it be like? What are we looking forward to? I want us to take a look together. So turn to Revelation 21. If you have a Bible handy, that's where we'll be. It's the last book of the Bible, chapter 21. So John here, at the end of history, which is what he pictures, he sees heaven coming down to earth, the new Jerusalem. And he describes it this way. So just listen. This is verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So you see this incredible imagery uh, in John's apocalypse. And this is the stuff, I think, especially if you're familiar with this part of the book, this is the stuff we often think of when we think of heaven coming down to earth. Uh, it's a lot of this imagery. Later on, you see descriptions of the holy city, and there are walls and towers made of pure crystal, uh, and the city is made of gold like pure glass. And that's like, what does that even mean? Sapphires, emeralds, onyx, on and on, just breathtaking beauty and splendor is the idea. But then out of nowhere, John starts giving us all these measurements of the new Jerusalem. So if you look at verse 16, it's like in the middle of all this stuff, suddenly he says, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. So you got to ask, why does John suddenly uh, turn from his vision that looks a lot like the Emerald City in The Wizard of Oz, and it turns into something more like an episode of Fixer Upper. Why does that happen? Well, here's the thing. For all the striking and vivid word pictures that John gives here, believe me, this measurement is actually the most striking part. And here's why. John sees heaven come down. He sees a new Jerusalem as the perfect summary of our home, our ultimate home coming down to us. And it's a perfect cube. And, you know, believe me, you don't need uh, a master's degree in engineering uh, to put that together. He says the length and the width and the height are equal. That makes a cube. Now, does anyone here remember the only other perfect cube in the whole Bible? If you need to pause and think about it, do that. That's fine. But where is the only other perfect cube? If you guessed the holy of holies, you'd be right. If you remember... When the tabernacle and then later the temple uh, are given, designed by God, and he actually shares that with the people of Israel before they build, lots and lots of measurements are given. There's the outer courts, there's the inner courts, uh, there's the holy place, and then finally in the very center of the temple is the holy of holies. It is the, uh, the kind of the pinnacle of the whole structure. And this is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. 
behind a thick curtain. And this was the place where it was said God uniquely dwells on earth. It was in that holy of holies. It was his footstool on earth. And it's hard to overstate how sacred the holy of holies was in the Jewish mind and framework. No one, and I mean no one, goes into the holy of holies. No one's worthy to stand that close to God and live. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in, he would put a blood sacrifice on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant on behalf of the people of Israel as a symbol of his uh, forgiveness, and that's it. And you can bet when that high priest went in there once a year, he, he did so with fear and trembling. But notice here, there is no fear and trembling in Revelation 21. The Holy of Holies is no longer a place of sacrifice and hiddenness or mystery of separation. Here, John sees it has become an entire city where all who love the Lamb can work and live and play and move. It's like the whole world becomes the Holy of Holies. And this explains why John says this in verse 22. He says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So there's now immediate access to God, unparalleled in human history since the very beginning of the Bible story. And I don't know the last time you got to go home like this. And, and maybe this year you won't be able to because of everything going on. It's just like, thanks again, 2020. But if you are or were uh, blessed enough to have a happy home at some point in your life, you know this feeling. You walk into your home, there's hugs all around, the kitchen is bustling, the smells are delicious, the old room is just like you remember it, your childhood dog is still around and she comes happy to see you, right, wagging her tail, family and friends are together, laughing, catching up, telling old stories, preparing to celebrate and eat a meal together. Home is where you're welcomed like this. And John is adamant, as good as our memories of coming home may be, and I hope they are for you. All of that is nothing compared to the welcome prepared by God for his people from eternity past. Every door is open. Every street is free and clear. Its gates will never close. There will be no night. The wealth and beauty of nations will pour into the city for all to see and experience and enjoy. I can hardly even imagine. And of course, my favorite part, the food. From, can you imagine from every tongue, tribe, and nation what a feast it will be. It's like the, it's like the ultimate potluck. <laughs> you can taste food from across the centuries and across the globe all at once. But here's what gets me, at least right now. And here's what makes this a welcome unlike any other you've ever had. Because even a perfect Thanksgiving always has an empty chair. Someone's missing. There's a void, a hole, an absence that feels impossible to fill. But this welcome, this home, no chair now stands empty. Every loved one in this home, if they're in Christ, returns for this welcome. Every friend, every neighbor, every grandparent, every parent, every child, every stillborn that we have buried in the hope of the gospel is raised here to new life. Remember when Jesus tears the curtain off of the Holy of Holies, and in the Gospels, at, right at Jesus' death, the curtain of the Holy of Holies tears right in half. He tears the curtain of our separation from God. In that same moment, he prepares to roll away the stone of death and leave the empty tomb. Even death itself 
cannot ruin a welcome, a home like this. Part of our welcome means that death is no more. No sin will separate us from the love of God, and no conflict or grief or even death will separate us from one another in this new home. It's a welcome unlike we've ever known. But it's not only that. Home is also where you are healed. So if you look at chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, you see, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. So you see here John's vision of the new Jerusalem, our home come down to us. It changes from the Holy of Holies in chapter 21 to the Garden of Eden in chapter 22. And the river through the middle of the city, the tree of life, all of this takes us back to that first garden when God walked in humanity in the cool of the day in Genesis 1 and 2, with one big difference. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Now when Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit, the result was a curse and a wound that seemed like it could never be healed. And in so many ways, the whole Bible story is asking, how is God going to mend the tear that lets sin and death into the world? How is He going to solve this? But here in, in this new city, John says there's nothing accursed, and there are no more trees of anything forbidden like there were in the garden. There's just the tree of life whose leaves heal the nations. Now think about the chaos of nations throughout the book of Revelation. It was the nations that raged against God. Think about the chaos of our own nation that we've wrestled with just this past year. The division, the hatred, the injustices, the violence, all of it. And that's just one year. John says in our new home, when it comes to us, all is healed. And not just the nations, but you and I, we are healed. Every tear is wiped away. Every pain is mended. Every hurt is undone. And think about this with me for just a minute. Our home that's coming to us heals us, as the old hymn puts it, as far as the curse is found. Just think about how far the curse has gone. It's almost unimaginable, even for me, to, to think of healing like this. Imagine a home where there's no more cancer, there's no more pain, there's no more mental illness. There's no more late nights by the phone. There's no more doctor's visits, no more hospitals. A home where there's no more funerals. There's no more grief. There's no more gossip. There's no more greed. There are no more bullies. There's no more suicide. There's no more violence and there's no more abuse. There's no more hunger. There's no more fear. Can you imagine? There's only wholeness and peace and joy. When home comes to us, we are healed forever from that curse in the garden. But for John, as wonderful as those images are, none of them, even our welcome and our healing, are the best thing about heaven. They are not ultimately what make it our home. This is the last part of chapter 22. Listen to this. This is verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp, or they will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. 
So the thing above all that makes heaven our home is that Jesus is there. Home is where Jesus is. John's whole vision, the last image he gives is the image of Jesus' face. He says, we will see him face to face. The face that whether we know it or not, every human person is looking for in every relationship and every love. And yes, even in every sin and temptation, we are looking for the one who is looking for us. And here at the end, we find God's ultimate answer to that horrible question He asked Adam and Eve, and each one of us back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve take of the forbidden fruit, and as every human being has done since, they hide from the presence of God. And he comes back to the garden and he says, where are you? And this more than any other sin and brokenness we may experience in this life is at the heart of the human condition. Why are we so homesick? Why does everything we touch break and everything turns to ash in our mouth? We have run from God. We have hid from Him. And so every day in this life apart from Him is another day we feel so, so far from home. But John sees it here because home is where we see Jesus face to face and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the maker of the universe, the creator of you and me, wraps us in His arms and He says, found you, I found you. That's when you know you're home. And listen, everybody, I know, like I'm, I'm doing my best here. I know I'm not doing this justice. He- heaven is just too big. There's too much to describe in just one sermon. I can't do this perfectly, which is why uh, for the next five weeks uh, in Advent, we're going to do a whole sermon series on heaven, the home that we long for, because we want to take that time to wrap our minds and hearts around this hope we have to come. So I want to end this sermon and this series with a simple call. It's the same call that I think John had in his mind when he wrote this vision down and sent it to seven churches, which is where we started this whole journey. And and it's this, in the midst of the chaos and the suffering, don't lose hope for home. Imagine with me that you're John and you've seen the worst that the world can throw at you. John, who met Jesus many, many years ago now, by his fishing boat with his brother, James, and his friends, Peter and Andrew. And all of them are now dead and gone. John, who's exiled on Patmos, even in his extremely old age, and can no longer see or hear his friends and and fellow believers. He's cut off from them. John, who's been our guide now for the past several weeks, he's writing this to a group of people who have to be wondering, Is home ever coming for us? And I wonder if he feels the same way. Is there a home for us and when is it going to be here? And then in his vision, he sees it. I mean, you and I, we can talk about it. We can read this and get a sense of what's coming. But John saw it. He saw it. He was there. And the purpose of this whole book, right, is to convince us and remind us. He's like grabbing us by the collar and he's saying, I know it's hard. I know you're tempted to give up, but I've seen it. I've seen home. It's coming. And it's coming soon. I know this year has been hard. No matter how it's affected you personally, I know it's been hard. And as dangerous and divided and overwhelming as 2020 has been, the most dangerous thing it can do to God's people is cause us to lose hope that God will make things right. 
to get so caught up in the moment that we forget eternity, to get so disappointed we forget to stay faithful, to become so cynical that we forget hope. So don't lose hope for home. That means longing for it, yes, but it also means working as God leads to bring little pieces of home to bear on our lives now, to love our neighbor as ourselves because we want them to come home with us too, to love our church more than ever because we know these are brothers and sisters in our family. And yes, to pray for home to come down, to pray for the time when every tear is wiped away, when every hurt is healed, when every door is opened and every knee is bowed in heaven and on earth at the name of Jesus our Lord. When we catch a vision of what home is like, what God has in store, the more we can do that, the more fervently we can pray with John, come Lord Jesus, we're ready. Heaven come down. So don't lose hope. Home is coming and it's coming soon.